Welcome to the J.P. Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this Weekender is Joe Upton. Hey, Joe. <laughs> hey, Bruce. How you doing? Welcome back. Thank you. So we came into this week uh, looking for generally positive news on global growth. Uh, the idea would be that the U.S. came in with a strong third quarter uh, and showed decent momentum at the end, uh, and we had been expecting as well uh, PMIs to move up uh, in Europe and and in that you know have a, a nice positive in the in the manufacturing sector driving what what remains one of our important calls on on global industry. Um, so let's do the scorecard here for the week. Uh, how do you kind of add it up, Joe? I think it was mixed, but probably on balance, constructive. If you add in some of the other news we're getting some of the fiscal supports but uh yeah if you just want the if you want the 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 short answer before unpacking i would say mixed okay in the mix um i'd say certainly the u.s numbers were were better in a number of different aspects no is that yeah definitely so so on the so as you unpack it i would say the the u.s side of it is where not only was it good as we expected but it was better than expected right so we got um 4.9 percent on on real gdp uh and i think the and it was broad based by the way it was uh, strong consumer spending gains and it wasn't just consumer spending gain it was broad based the overall real domestic final sales i think were up like three and a half percent um so good good readings there if you just stop there you'd say okay well yeah you got to fade some of this this is you, you know you, we're going to see some deceleration we are looking for deceleration but you know i think what's important to note is some of the internals of this report had some positive signs on the income generation side. And this is something I think you've been highlighting is going to come and we got it in spades, right? We got, that was even more. So nominal GDP was stronger than we expected, up eight and a half percent, along with employee com- uh, compensation running about five and a half percent. And so if you kind of do the math on this, we don't have corporate profits yet, but it's not hard to imagine a corporate profit increase of 20 to 25% at an annualized rate last quarter, which is pretty darn strong. And that's something that I think can give you some legs if you're worried about recession breaking late this year. Uh, I think this should kind of give you some some pushback. Uh, you know, what happens next year is still remains to be seen, but certainly uh, the, you know, this was a good report, not just in the headline real reading, but that nominal generation, I think is important. Yeah. So I think, you know, as you're saying, um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty healthy set of information. And it's also healthy that we ended the quarter with the reports that we now have on real spending. Absolutely. Uh, that already comes together with a, a decent durable goods report and a decent IP report. I mean, the the basic momentum the economy is holding up. So, you know, you made the point and it's it's right, probably take the three three on domestic final sales as a better underlying message of growth. The inventory contribution in Q3 is almost certainly going to be gone. And then you sort of think about how much fading you get in domestic final sales and you start to then think about where is Where's consumption going? Where's gov going? Where's investment going? And there's, you know, there's interesting questions on all of those. And I think we probably would have, you know, at least consumption and gov slowing this this quarter, but nothing that feels, as you say, 
anything that's really scary. Uh, so no, that's right. I mean, I, I think you know, as you said, real consumer spending in September up four tenths, uh, yeah, and it doesn't end there because as you look to the, to, you look to October, and our Chase card data is tracking, uh, I think about a six tenths increase in in the control category of spending for this month. Yeah, that's a good strong. And that comes with. We've got claims doing well here, and we've got a yeah with for next week forecast for next week. Yeah, we do. Yeah, the claims numbers were good, and then with uh, payrolls running, I think about one hundred seventy-five thousand. Um, you know, it's that's more income generation, right? That is going to be supporting that that consumer. Right. So I think you know the U.S. is probably tracking above our fourth quarter estimate right now of one and a half percent. Uh, growth. Right. It's probably going to fit. We're not going to have another 5% GDP quarter, but uh, not yeah. not looking like anything troubling is happening. However, on I the mean, other I side- I think the thing that, the thing that I, I mean, bothers me, or I, I don't know, kind of irks me is that there's, there's a lot what of- What bothers you, Joe? Tell us what bothers you. <laughs> Let me lay down on the couch here. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's all this talk of like, you know, oh, you know, fade the third quarter, things are going to decelerate. And, and it's in a tone of like, this is falling and, and breaking down here. Like, of course, we're not, if your bar is 4.9% GDP growth, then yeah, I'm not going to get on the other side of a bet that says we're going to go down. We are going to go down, but just like pump the brakes on something falling apart here. There's income generation there. There's solid momentum going into the current quarter. And, and as I said earlier, we can talk about next year and you and I have been debating the impact of rates in the first half and, and you and I certainly still believe the odds are higher of something of some recession by late next year. But through the kind of end of this year, I, I think you just have to look at the U S and saying it's a, it's a real growth generator here. So um, yeah. yeah, some of the downbeat, I think. I mean, I think you come back to the, the framework, the framework we set up. And, you know, I think from the point of view of, um, you know, fading these short term momentum swings, there's every reason to do it. But I think when you kind of look underneath the hood at the vulnerability side of things, as you're saying, the income generation, uh, the dynamics uh, in terms of what the high frequency data is telling us. Um, yeah. yeah, there's nothing that really feels like we're at risk here. Um, and I think what's throwing people off, and I, I may have said this before, is that if if you were to just be dropped on this planet and look at you know the inflation numbers and the policy rates and where rates and yields are, it's very late cycle. You would think we are on the cusp of a downturn, but that's not the only thing that's going on. When you look at the fundamentals, it's very mid cycle, right? And there's a reason why this year was so resilient and continues to be resilient and continues to get people wrong footed on how much resilience there is because those fundamentals are mid cycle. Now, at some point, the unstoppable force of higher rates is maybe going to start to nudge the immovable object of fundamentals, but it's going to take time to, to get that done and may even require even higher rates, but that's for another another day. Well, not for another cover because we're going to talk about the Fed in a minute. But before we yeah. talk about the Fed and central banks, let's just turn to the um, European uh, PMI, which yeah, the, the uh, is disappointing. I'm going to just say I'm going to leave the ECB conversation here because it was not very interesting in terms of pushing stories forward. But the, you know, we have been looking for some lift. It's not a lot, but we've been looking for some lift, and we've been looking for Europe to kind of become a, a modest player in this global manufacturing uh, recovery. And on both fronts, I think the um, 
you know, survey data this week were on the disappointing side. Not not a, entirely IFO went up in Germany, but primarily the PMI was was I'd say disappointing. So how how much concern should we have on that front? Um, I mean, it's kind of more of the same concern. I mean, if you look at, I mean, look, I I think if you wanted to say that the IFO did tick up a little bit, although that was running even lower than what the what the PMIs were telling you. Uh, I think there is a, a sense if you wanted to turn up the microscope on the data that things aren't getting worse. And if you look at our forecast, that's kind of our forecast. We have things stalling out and getting a little bit better this quarter, but I think we have flat for last quarter and 0.5 for this quarter. So that's not really, you know, here nor there. It's it's weak. And I think if you looked at the surveys, you say those are also weak. So we're not being challenged too much. But yeah, if you're looking for that second, third derivative shift in the data, you had a little bit of it in the September PMI report that looked like it was hooking up. We thought that was going to build on itself with another gain in October. And instead, it gave up the September gain. And we're back to where we were. So definitely uh, a disappointment tempered a little bit by the German IFO kind of turning turning back up. And I guess we still believe, um, you know, that there's some manufacturing lift that should be coming out of out of Europe here. So one thing um, that I think we should add to this piece of the conversation is what's what the heck is happening on the fiscal side. So we, we should, you know, maybe start by recognizing that U.S. has had fairly significant supports here. And it's one of the things I think that people have underestimated in terms of understanding why the U.S. has done so well here. Um, but there's um, moving parts on the fiscal outside the U.S., which is continuing to reinforce this idea that this is a very different fiscal cycle than we had last time, where fiscal became a major uh, source of weighing on growth, uh, at least from the direct demand side. I mean, maybe the the offset to that is what's happening in in yields and in interest rate markets. But um, let but let's talk for a minute. We've had some interesting fiscal news this week. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of news, it was largely out of Asia, right? Um, mm -hmm. If that's what you're referring to, is that correct? Or yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was sure. I was trying to think. Is there because we were talking about Europe? I was thinking. Oh, I don't know of any new <laughs> fiscal news in Europe. If, if anything, I think the fiscal developments that we have set up for are somewhat of a drag next year. So that does worry me. Although that wasn't news this this week. Uh, that's for another conversation, I guess. Uh, in terms of the news, yeah, Asia seems like the uh, getting more fiscal. That that package of announcements that came out maybe a two, three weeks ago from China, um, uh, you know, that I think we maybe were skeptical of, um, actually looks coming to fruition and it's adding upside risk. And I think as much as a half a percentage point extra growth in China, although not coming until next year is when you would expect to see it really kick in here. So that's constructive. You also had in Japan some uh, uh, fiscal announcements, uh, you know, with the, the government, um, you know, talking about some some tax breaks that, uh, you know, is, is going to be supportive of, of, of growth there. And I think as you look across, actually, you know, some of the smaller Asian economies there, similar message of, of fiscal supports stepping in at a time when uh, monetary policy maybe is feeling a bit more um, pressure from external financial uh, forces. Yeah, I, think, I think 
I think the basic message is we're getting some more positive fiscal news. I think where you're um, probably expect, expressing a little bit of, um, I don't know if concern is the right word, but clearly a shift in, in, in momentum as an impulse is, is probably more in the U.S. I mean, I look at Europe and I yeah. don't see much of anything happening on the fiscal side. Uh, it hasn't been that supportive, but it hasn't been um, a, a drag. And I think that's going to likely continue. Um, I think I the guess... U.S. is complicated because there's a really a lot of strong momentum this year on the fiscal side. And I think you were actually early in, in promoting that as a driver of growth from the start of this year. Um, and it was one of the reasons that the U.S. did outperform. And you can see it on all cylinders, right? Whether it's defense spending, federal non-defense or state and local, everything's firing on all cylinders through the third quarter here. Uh, the, the concern is once again, yes, we're not going to run the gangbuster pace that we've seen this year. That is going to come down. But the question is, how much does it come down? And I mean, you and I were just debating this before the call started, but I, maybe I'm getting a little bit more nervous on the federal side. It, it's a knee-jerk reaction to say defense spending clearly is going to be moving up given geopolitics, but the politics, the domestic politics are so dysfunctional that I begin to wonder how much of the federal, anything can be done at the federal level, including defense spending, as we've seen the $100 billion package Biden is asking for. You know, you've got people out there saying it's dead on arrival. Um, and you've got a pretty aggressive fiscal hawk now leading the House. It's not clear what's going to come out of that. And if nothing gets done, you're potentially setting yourselves up for some sequestration spending cuts uh, as right. we move into next I guess, so that. Works. I guess I would, I would put the, the possibility of dysfunction, you know, breaking out into things like sequestering as a risk. But I would also say I think it's not the risk isn't dysfunction breaking out. That's where we're at. at. The risk the, would be an upside of function breaking out, which is unlikely. <laughs> well, let me say I'm 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 kind of thinking about fiscal from the following perspective, which is it provided a significant boost with Gov running, you know, over four of the last four quarters with uh, uh, you know debt servicing payments rising significantly. Um, and uh, with a big COLA increase at the beginning of the year. And we're not going to repeat those things. But when I look right. at what I kind of put into this without any disruptive effects, I'd say federal discretionary goes slightly negative. Defense keeps growing 2 to 3%. State and local, which is 60% of all government spending, probably grows 3 So I'm kind of putting a 2 on Gov falling from 4 And that's certainly a a moderating impulse, but it's not a, a source of weakness. Yeah, and that, that would be great. I mean, I'm more concerned that actually defense doesn't do much at all, maybe ekes out a small gain and non-defense actually contracts and state and local. I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't think, think you're, you're just putting way. your finger in the wind on that one. So I don't know. I don't think there's any way that defense isn't continuing to be a positive. And some of that's going to show up in gov okay. spending, but some of it's going to show up in U.S. exports, um, to the rest of the world as well. But anyway, we can we can debate that. I think it's important to realize there's a um, there's a space here where there's some uncertainty around it. I might be a little I mean, more that's just bottom line it for our listeners. Like we were just talking about fiscal thrust, which is the add to GDP growth next year. I mean, is it it's going from a pretty large positive this year, right? Um, I mean, I'm having a hard time figuring out what numbers to put in, but if I had to kind of <laughs> push the wall, I'd say, I'd say 
U.S. has probably had a, a fiscal thrust this year of probably one to one and a half percent. And I think it's yeah. going to go to zero next year, which right. is not right. negative, but it's going to be it's going to be a more neutral force in, in economic performance. Yeah. Uh, and that is with a large range of uncertainty about the the dynamics around that. But let's leave that for the for the hey, let me just throw one more wrinkle into all that, though, Bruce. And it's I think it's something you you've raised with me and we've been scratching our heads about interest income is going up as a result of higher interest rates and the you know, government paying higher interest. Is that a form of fiscal thrust or not? Uh, well, I guess what I'm building in is I think we moved up something close to 200 billion this year on um, yep. debt servicing and we had a COLA payment, which was up 8.7%. So I'm thinking the, the debt servicing increase is going to be positive, but small this year, this coming year. And the COLA adjustment we know is 3.2%. So these are still moving in a way of adding to income, but much less than they did in 2023. So you know, that's this issue of, it's not turning to be an outright drag, but the impulse is going from a significant positive to something closer to, yeah. to zero. And we'll you're, you're actually right. The discretionary or non-discretionary COLA adjustment probably is going to be another decent size this year. Isn't we it? know it, it's 3.2. Yeah, yeah 3.2. So, so it's not it's not eight point seven. No, no, but still, <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a positive. Meaningful. Yeah. Right. So let's let's go to the. I, I, we should say a word at least on both the uh, the Fed and the BOJ for next week because I think yeah. both are somewhat interesting for perhaps different different reasons. Let's let's start with the BOJ because to me they're the first of all they're up first and second of all because they're the one central bank which if anybody's going to do something here they're the ones that can, can possibly surprise us. So the question I guess I'll pose to you is how much risk do you put on them coming in? It's not our call, but putting on them and that they take the Band-Aid off, either widen the band significantly or even just take out YCC uh, this coming week. I'd say 60, 40, they don't do anything. Okay. That's, that's... Uh, I mean, look, I, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a close call. They'll definitely raised their inflation forecast for this year and, and um, uh, for, for fiscal 24 as well. But for fiscal 25, they'll probably still have inflation below 2%, which will give, uh, uh, the, give them the excuse to keep their YCC in place. Um, I mean, one thing that's probably important to note that even if they did change the band, um, it's not really going to move the, the needle on the 10-year much because they're, they're managing this with uh, you know these unscheduled liquidity operations. And, and in fact, if you go back and look at the July surprise, uh, although it didn't surprise us, I think Iaco uh, had a good call there, but um, uh, you know that did surprise the market, but the 10 year didn't move all that much. Um, right. So um, I think one thing that is happening on uh, behind the scenes is this fiscal package and the, the potential um, budgetary burdens, there's talk of that kind of maybe tying the hands of, of the normalization path towards raising rates, which we don't think is going to happen until sometime later next year. But that, that's an interesting conversation I'm getting more of talking about the mix between fiscal and monetary. This but I think, but, but if I could just jump in, I'm kind of about yeah. where you are on, on the odds of them doing something, which means it's high, but it may not be the, the, the baseline of the call. But you know, to me, what I think is important is what you said a minute ago, is that they've already been signaling here, they're going to continue to come in and 
uh, manage the uh, yield space without a YCC ban necessarily being that central, more being these ad hoc uh, uh, interventions. And I, I think in that context, it may be useful for them to now to say, hey, we don't need these YCC bans anymore and try to either by establishing a much wider band or by even taking it away, just go in and show that they can manage the JGB market in a more flexible ad hoc way. We'll see, but that's, I think, something that could come as yeah. a surprise next week. But then let's turn to the Fed, uh, which obviously would be a real shocker if they did anything on, 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 on rates or anything else in terms of actions. It's all about guidance uh, towards the uh, uh, December meeting and beyond. Um, they don't have um, a new forecast this um, uh, meeting. So what is it, you know, on the on the nuance side here of signaling, what is it that you would be expecting to come well, out? Well, I mean, I think if you're to just if you're just to take the the language, obviously November's off the table. Powell had that comment of need to see additional evidence to see if it's warranted. That idea of additional, given there's no more data, suggests he's thinking beyond November already. Um, you know, so that takes November off the table. December, as you note, is the is the interesting one. Um, and here, you know. Since the September meeting, the data has moved all in one direction, right? I mean, you've had stronger than expected payroll reports, stronger than expected CPI reports, stronger than expected retail sales reports, stronger than expected GDP report. Can I keep going? I mean, it's just it's just everything is one direction. And it's hard to not think that you wouldn't look at that combined with the fact that they probably are doing the same math we are, that CPI is likely to continue moving higher and end the year above 3% on core. Uh, and not feel very uncomfortable with that picture. They have to be very forward-looking and nuance that language a lot in the press conference uh, if they were to not kind of actually hike in December in response to what this data has been sending them. And by the way, the one thing that they throw against it is that to counter it, and probably why they're on hold November, is the rise in yields. And if you take the strong data as driving some of those higher yields, that kind of undercuts that defense for, for waiting. So, um, you know, I, I'm neither really a hawk or a dove, but I think the data flow right now, if you fast forward to December, would suggest uh, a hike is more likely in the cards than not. Things can change, but right now that's what I would think. And everything I just said, while not as forcefully, I think Powell will is in the back of his mind and he's gonna express that hawkish bias. Certainly remind people that regardless of December, they're gonna be on hold for quite a while here, which I think is probably the most important message you're getting from all of these central banks that things are, well, leave the BOJ aside, uh, that you know whether they're on hold or not, uh, whether they're hiking one more or not, uh, doesn't really matter. They're gonna be on hold until inflation right. gets back on track. So, I mean, we should have this conversation against the backdrop of where the market is. And I was just glancing at it. It looks like it's less than 20% probability priced into December. What you were saying is you feel like it's probably a little over 50% at this point. Uh, yeah. And it's a question of how much does Powell talk to us in a way that makes you feel that the December meeting is live and is a reasonably close call. And I think that's the, that's the space that we think will be at least partially filled in terms of his commentary that he's got to uh, both say, look, we are on hold here. We're gonna be patient because we see yields doing some of our work, um, but we got two payroll reports. We got two CPI reports before they meet in, in, in December. 
if as we expect, they're both showing pretty healthy job games and are showing 0.3s on core CPI, you know, the Fed's patience will be tested at that point. And it's a close call at this moment. Obviously, what financial conditions do and uh, where the data surprises come in matter, but it's hard at this point not to to see that there's a reasonably decent chance they actually come back in December and 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 raise rates. So, um, you know, we'll see how much of that that he pushes things in the way that kind of gives you a a, a, a sense that December is a close call at this point. But he's probably going to lean in that direction, I think, in terms of the balance of his his comments. Um, yeah. so with that, we'll leave. We mentioned earlier. Should, we got should note the Bank of England's also next week, which is a relatively close call uh, in the sense that they voted to go on hold 5-4 last meeting. Um, we are looking for them to stay on hold. Probably think the hurdle after going on hold, there's some inertia there to stay on hold. Um, but I would say recession risks have probably gone down in Europe. Inflation report that we got recently was a bit stronger than expected. Um, so I don't know. I, I think Alan's saying it's a close call, but we have them on hold. Okay. I guess we'll leave it there. Thanks everybody. Uh, hope we can continue this conversation again next week on the JP Morgan weekender. Take care.